Thank you for joining us for part two of our 2020-2021 season preview for the Step Back Sisterhood. If you listened to part one, you will have noticed that Amber had to leave. So Britt, uh, Janelle, and I, Tara, will be carrying on in the second half. And we're going to be talking about mostly the Eastern Conference. But first, we're going to finish up with a little bit on the West, talking about which teams we think are going to be left out of the playoff race. Thank you for so much for joining us and hope you enjoy part two of our season preview. Now we're still on the West. Um, the West is so stacked and deep. Who gets left out of the playoff picture? Oh, man. Could there just ever be a year where the West isn't stacked and deep? I mean, uh... Uh, I mean, I'm going to say a, I'm not going to necessarily say a, it's a hot take, but I'm going to say the Warriors again, to be quite blunt. And I said that last year and I was, that was probably the one prediction I was right about. <laughs> not so much that I, I think that Curry is definitely going to, you know, step up his game. He is a, you know, a phenomenal leader. And I think that they have shown hints that he can play pretty well. And, you know, honestly, if there wasn't that extended COVID, you know, hiatus that caused, you know, the delete eight quote unquote to not play after March of the season, you know, Curry would have been back and would have been playing the, you know, the second half of the year. So. He's been, you know, roaring to go for the last few months, but my concerns are around Draymond and now his, you know, injury sort of situation and him having COVID as of recently. And he, like, I know some folks are like, oh, he lost a ton of weight. He looked good. I didn't think he looked good in some of the press conferences. And maybe that was just me, you know, because of the fee. <laughs> um, maybe it caused him not to look as good, but. That's a concern because the rest, you know, Umbre, our Umbre is going to be, you know, I think he's going to be a good compliment for, you know, Curry to a certain extent. Wiseman, you know, he has shown, you know, sort of sparks of being okay based on the preseason games that he's, you know, sort of played so far, but they really need Draymond to step up. And if he is in and out of the lineup for most of the season, and if Curry overextends himself and is in and out of the lineup, um, that's going to be an issue for Golden State. And I think that the West is very strong. And to go from dead last in the division to, you know, I, I can see him get into the eight and nine game uh, very easily. But I don't necessarily, I think folks are sort of giving Curry a lot more credit than I don't necessarily think he deserves. So that's my, it's not necessarily a hot take, but definitely a contradictory take because I've seen folks say they'll be as high as like four or five. And I, I just don't necessarily see that. More credit than he deserves. <laughs> well, why, here's why the- I think he don't deserve that, that credit. He, I mean, this is a guy who really gets, trashed no regardless of his accomplishments i'm I'm, th- I'm thinking that as far as the war is concerned i i agree um that it curry is going to i mean steph is going to be steph but my biggest concerns with him with the warriors is draymond on offense and defense because you know that 
offensively, teams are going to load up on Steph and sag off on Dre because, you know, they can live with him shooting all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. And their bench is a concern as well. Those non-Curry minutes are a telltale. And from what I've seen in the preseason, um, that's, that's a huge concern. But, you know, I don't really think that they'll be out of the playoff picture. And I, I have them, and this is kind of favoritism, but I, I really have them as a dark horse. I, I have them surprising some teams. And as far as Draymond's injury, um, I think he, I think he's tore his, not tore anything, but you know, something wrong with his ankle. I believe and he's going to be doubtful for Brooklyn, but I, I think he'll be available more often than not. But my, my concern with him isn't his availability, it's his ability on offense. But as far as me, it's who I think will be probably left out of the playoff picture. I would say, you know, those fringe teams like New Orleans, Memphis, uh, San Antonio, definitely. I'll say, I really believe in the East, at least between two and eight, they're, they're wide open. Cause I really don't see many improvements other than the Lakers and Portland. Oh, it's yeah. going to be interesting. And I guess just to um, get back to the Curry point real fast before, Tara, you go ahead. Um, I I think when it comes to Curry, he has had, for the entire extent of the four years run, Clay and Draymond. And during the moments that he has not been able to get them over the hump is when one or both of them have been unavailable or playing not as well as they should. Not, it's not to say that he's not a great player. He, you know, he had one of the greatest, you know, single seasons in NBA history in 14, 15 when he won, you, you know, unanimous MVP 16. or 15, 16. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily saying that, Hey, he is an awful player or that he is, you know, underestimated. The thing is that he has never shown that, Hey, as the number one, no doubt, um, without a substantial and good cast around him, that he can be successful for an entire season. Um, you know, to be, you know, quite blunt, they were under 500. I know he didn't play that many games, but when last season they were, they started under 500 and then he, you know, broke his hand. So that's not to say he can't do it. It's just that I don't think we have actually seen him do that yet. That, that's not to say he can't and he may be extremely motivated to do so. I, I just think that like how folks say that like, he should deserve the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that's fair when they don't necessarily give the benefit of doubt to other folks. That's all I, I'm I'm really saying. Um, especially with, you know, Draymond, you know, being sort of iffy and his offense has definitely gone downhill in the last, you know, several years and with Clay being out. 
and not having like you know Iggy is now gone that was definitely you know a you know a person who helped out a lot and having a very young team surrounding him I, I think he's going to have to step up in a way that he hasn't had to do you know quite frankly his entire career honestly the well, team we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to see it this year for sure and as far as those five games I mean yeah he, he struggled I, I give you that I, I admit that he did but if it wasn't for his injury, who was to say that he would have broken out of that slump? I mean, players go through slumps here and there. Yeah. You know. And so, I don't. So right now we have a full, we have a full season. We have a, a clean slate. So now he can prove it. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I have no reason to doubt him. And plus, as far as Draymond and Clint goes, yeah, that, that is, that is valid. But at the same time, uh, Steph makes players, you know, makes them better. So he has a chance to make Oubre and everyone else around him better. And he's going to have to carry load. You, I agree with you. You know, so it, it'll be fun to see. But what I like about the Warriors now in this season is we'll see a new style of play. I mean, Kirk cannot really rely on motion offense, not with the personnel that he's around now. Ubre and Wiggins, they are really heavy in transition and common sense will tell you that Kerr will have to, you know, maximize that. And the way that they're focusing in on defense with the length that they have, I think it's prudent. And, you know, I'm not going to write them off yet. So, you know, my, my ceiling for them is at least, you know, between the fourth and the fifth seed and the floor is around sixth, I would say. Okay. We, we have gone off on a tangent here. Um, yeah. I mean, all I'm saying is that I, I'm not necessarily giving him the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, other folks are doing that's, that's really all like I, folks, who are, but I'm, I'm curious because who are these other folks that are giving him the benefit of doubt? I mean, Everybody you can like to be twerking with joy with the with the fact that Curry would have to carry a team all by himself. I'm using quotations, but you know, I don't see these people giving him a benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, I really don't. Yeah, I, I mean, you can look at some of the early predictions. Like a lot of folks have given, you know, have put the Warriors up there in four or five, like you have mentioned. I I think that like yes, okay, there's a I'm lot of folks. That. Only yeah. there is XM radio have that, that's one example, but ESPN have them like 14th or something. See, uh, I don't think they'll be that low. I, I, I just think that I don't necessarily see them getting to that four or five seed or higher just because of the personnel. Like if Clay was there, it would be an entirely different situation. I think what hurt them tremendously is the loss of clay. And I think that causes them to have a lot more concerns surrounding their rotation, surrounding their bench, especially that they thought that they were able to overcome with clay returning, you know, initially from injury until he got the Achilles. So that's really my concern is that like with Draymond sort of dropping off with clay, not being able to be available for another year, we just don't know how, it's going to be that that's all that's really all and and that's fair and and i i agree 
you know, it's just something that, you know, will be entertaining to watch, I, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And especially with with the development of Wiseman, it seemed like they're going to have to throw him in the fire right away because projected to be the starting center would be Marquise Chris. And, you know, we're as under, the Warriors are as undersized as it is. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a struggle. For sure. But I guess well, we've already talked too much, Tara. What are your thoughts about who's going to miss the playoffs? I'm going to try really hard not to make this a three-hour podcast. But the the team in the West that – just to kind of wrap up our discussion on the West, the team in the West that I'm very curious about is Houston. What is going to happen with them? Is what's going to happen with Harden if Harden is on the team versus if Harden is not on the team? Who does Who comes in instead of Harden? Who are the other people on the team? I don't even know who a lot of the players are on the team. Um, so I really want to know. Um, I don't necessarily know that I have them on the out um, in the playoffs if they don't have Harden. But, like, the pretty much the only team that I'm, like, 99% sure isn't going to make it into the West is Minnesota. And then all the other ones I can, like, come up with a scenario. Even the poor Kings. Okay, I'm like... 95% the Kings probably aren't going to make it. <laughs> but I, I love watching the Kings because they're, uh, if nothing else, they're usually entertaining. Um, but yeah, Britt, what's going to happen with Houston? Because I see it possibly going in a whole lot of different directions. To be honest, I really don't know. And it really depends on Harden. Um, I think the next, you know, by the time this episode comes out, you know, tomorrow um, and into Tuesday, Wednesday, the first part of the season, we'll have a good indication on if he's going to at least stay until the trade deadline or if he's going to be moved. And that real, I think that really causes them to have the biggest, um, I guess, you know, difference between like their floor and ceiling. Like mm-hmm. if Harden is there so far in the preseason, they have looked really good with him in the two games that he played, you know, this, um, you know, since he returned from his extended, you know, COVID hiatus thing. So, um, but if who he's else? there, yeah. So, I mean, you can also look at John Wall. He's looked pretty well and a lot of it's going to be injuries too. So I, I think they could, you know, if Harden stays there and they have, you know, relatively good health, I think the one thing when it comes to Wall and Cousins is that they actually got a full 12 plus months to um, recuperate, which usually doesn't happen at all as a result of injuries. I mean, you can look at Clay, unfortunately, as an example of that. He, you, he really was raring to try to get back in, you know, nine to 10 months versus getting a full 12 months, which is recommended by doctors when it comes to, a, you know, ACL, MCL in, injury. Yeah. Um, and for Wall and Cousins, you know, because of the extended hiatus because of COVID, they were able to have a full rehab period, which is, you know, sort of unheard of in the league. And maybe that will, especially if they have a really good season, that could allow for teams to say like, hey, we really do need to slow down and allow these players to get a full recuperation time instead of trying to push them. You know, even if the player wants to be pushed early, like let's give them a full year so that they can maximize their full you know, career versus trying to push them out early and then causing, you know, cascading effect with other injuries. So 
I guess the short answer, sorry, it's getting long that the Rockets really depend on Harden and it could be anywhere from like a top four seed to, you know, 10, 11, 12, depending on injuries and if Harden's going to be around and if he's going to be, you know, sort of willing to work with the players, which it seems like he has been so far. It, it really depends on what happens with Harden. It, that's really all there is to it. As far as Harden is concerned, you, do you think that he is really cooperating with the players to, to get what he wants, which is out of Houston? Or do you think that the more that they play together, the more Harden would say, Hey, maybe, maybe I want to stay and try to work this out because they, he and Wall really look great together. I mean, really look solid together. You, do you think it's worth him giving it another chance? I, I, in my heart, I say yes. Like, I definitely understand why he wants to leave, that he has for, you know, the past eight seasons been the man and has sort of carried the team to the playoffs every single season. You can look at the players that were all-star, all-star caliber. Um, Chris Paul, he was out for half the season every single year, you know, in the two years that he was there. Dwight Howard was in and out of the lineups during the years that, you know, Harden was, you know, just starting to blow up. Um, you can look at Westbrook. He had injury concerns almost the entire year. And then once they came to the seeding games, he got hurt again. So he's never really had an opportunity to I guess sort of feel as though he doesn't have to carry that burden the entire time. And maybe, you know, he's sort of done with it. And from that aspect, I sort of understand why he wants to leave. But I feel as though, you know, even though the Rockets have hedged, they have really built a roster that ha- that really complements what Harden can do. And maybe that will allow him to say like, hey, let's at least give it to the trade deadline. And then maybe if they are playing really well and sort of like doing a lot better than what people are predicting them to do, maybe that allows him to say like, hey, I can wait till off season to be traded if he wants to be traded that way. Um, I think it really depends on health when it comes to Wall and Cousins. And if he, you know, the last few days, other than, you know, a few folks like, I wouldn't even say the folks' names, but a few folks saying like, oh, he's going to be traded. Like there hasn't really been as much of that commotion um, since he started playing with the team compared to a couple, you know, the last like two and a half weeks or so. Like there's been some things, but at the same time, like at the end of the day, like he had, there hasn't been as much. So uh, really we'll see. I-, I-, I just don't know. Here's what I'm wondering also, if he's really done with shouldering the load, then why why be traded? Why not really change the way his approach? I mean, the way that I see it, and this is from an outsider looking in, even if he does get traded to Miami or Brooklyn or whatever the case may be, eventually he would have to change his mindset and approach to the game. If, if he really want to win a championship, there'll be some things that he have to sacrifice and you know, why not sacrifice them in Houston? I mean, you get, you got a new coach and uh, Stephen Silas, you have John Wall, who has, again, looked really amazing coming back from his Achilles injury and a healthy DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, you know, why not give it a go? Why not try to change your approach instead of wanting to trade? Because, you know, in some instances, no matter where you go, there you are. 
I think a lot of it, yeah, I think a lot of it is based on Hardin and Tillman Fertitta, who's the owner slash, you know, governor, whatever the NBA likes to call it, of the Rockets, having a falling out and Tillman allegedly leaking the initial rumor that Hardin wanted to be traded. I think that in, um, and several people who I've talked to who have, you know, sort of known good sources within the Houston organization have said that, Hey, that's what's happening. It's not so much the team itself is that he has lost confidence in the front office. Um, well, not the front office, even in Tillman Fertitta specifically, because he has sort of said that, Hey, he's fine with Silas. He's liked Silas so far. He's liked the roster so far. It's Tillman. And I think, yeah. And that, is what frustrates me about it because if, I mean, I, I won't go like too far into my thoughts about Tillman, but overall having a like, superstar all- lose faith like that is like, that's on him. And if they lose Harden because he, they can't become, get it to a resolution, at least to like a point where like, Hey, you don't have to like me, but at least be able to be fine with, being you know around and still being paid like that's the thing um i don't know but i, I don't think it's so much the roster I, I think at this point or i think it was to a certain extent but then once you know if it was if it's true that tillman leaked that information that completely ruined whatever chance that they had of keeping Harden, and that's what really stinks yes you know we have all season to go in on Tillman for Tito, or as I like to call him, Tilly for Titty. <laughs> Godspeed, honey. I love your names for people so much, Janelle. Yeah. But, yeah we'll you don't have any see. names like that for any Blazers, do you? No, because I'm full cool with the Blazers. <laughs> the Blazers are too nice to have those nicknames. So the, bla- the Blazers mean well. <laughs> they mean well. They don't to hurt nobody. <laughs> Not unless, not unless you're Paul George or um, Brody. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, um, moving to the East, do you really believe that the Hawks, with all their roster additions, have a, a, a way to the playoffs? I, I believe so. I'm really intrigued by the dynamic between Trey Young and uh, Rondo. You know, that the leadership dynamics and, you know, he's, Rondo's abrasive, but like Amber said, if you, if you really want to win and really want to evolve as a player, you have to have pieces around you who have been there and, and done that and would be a solid mentor. So I, I like that move and I'm also intrigued on what Cam Reddish will do. I mean, he's been injured quite a, quite a bit in, last season and you know i'm i'm wondering what he'll do he'll he's picked it up during the final few games of the hawks this season last year so that's going to be interesting to watch what are your thoughts tara i think that atlanta has a really nice um 
a lot of a lot of interesting players now that they haven't um, had. They haven't had as as many uh, players who are you know consistently guys guys who you can put out there, um, and I think because the uh, East is a little bit going to be a little bit easier to get into the playoffs. I have them uh, making it into the playoffs, but I have them still quite a ways away from like serious contention. They just they need to build up continuity. They need to be there for a while. They need to like gel and see the best way to use all these different players who you know they. They bring. They have a lot of guys who bring a lot of you know different things, but they're. It's like you know they're just getting together right now. They're just getting. Uh, a lot of them are just getting to know each other. So when you look at them against a team like Indiana, you know Indiana has a lot of continuity. They've been through it all together a lot, and um, you know like Amber was saying, does Oladipo want to be there? Does he not want to be there? We're not sure about that. But what they do have is many, many, many returning players who've played a lot of minutes together. So I think that seventh and eighth spot in um, the East are going to go to Atlanta and Indiana. I just don't – I still think Atlanta is quite a ways away from being like – you know, a serious contender though. But it's all about the progress of progression. And that's a lot of, uh, that's for the, a lot of those young teams. I mean, in, in this game, mm-hmm. it's all about instant, instant superstardom, instant mm-hmm. contenders, but people forget about the progress of progression. Mm-hmm. And with, with the Hawks, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a process. They have the expectations to make the playoffs and, it is quite likely that they will, and you shouldn't be surprised if they don't make the playoffs because you have to see how, again, you have to see how those te- those pieces gel. You have to see what Lloyd Pierce would do with that. And what they go through to get there, too. Because, like, if yeah. you look at a team like Denver we were talking about earlier, I think one of the reasons that Denver has had sustained success is because they missed the playoffs so narrowly by, like, the skin of their noses for two years in a row and they went through that and they made it through that and I think that's made them better as a team because so many of those guys are still on that team right now and so I think Atlanta will have a year where they see some success but how they get through when they struggle is going to be key to like you were saying their progress Yes, and here's a team that Amber forgot to mention and that is the Eastern Conference champion the Miami Heat do you see them picking up where they left off? What do, what would they need to really get past the Brooklyn's, the Milwaukee's? What would they need, or do they have what they need? I as think, is. yeah, I I think the Heat got a really outstanding draw during the playoffs last season. They, you know. The first round, they were able to, you know, basically run through that relatively quickly. I mentioned during, you know, the second round that the Bucks had the absolutely worst matchup when it came to the Heat, and that came true. <laughs> quite frankly, when a lot of folks were saying, "Oh, you know, the Bucks should be winning," I, I had that. I had a bad feeling about them from the jump. I mean, you can look at their first round versus the Magic. Like, if the Magic had better personnel. They really had a chance to, you know, shock the Bucks, and they did for you know a game. So I knew that when they, you know, the Heat came up with the Bucks, that was going to be an issue. And then when it came to the Celtics, you know, 
at that point they were on a roll. And then, you know, through the finals, they basically got stopped by LeBron and Anthony Davis, but they, it wasn't necessarily like they were doing as bad. Um, during that, or at least they, they tried, I guess would be the result. Like, I think they were probably the best team in the East to sort of match up with LeBron that season. Um, maybe not so much anymore since the Knicks have issues, uh, you know, now have, um, KD and have Irving or the Nets. Sorry, not the Knicks. <laughs> Silly. The Nets. I know. I knew you weren't going to want that hanging out there. So yeah. I wanted to jump in and get that. No problem. <laughs> the Nets having, um, KD and, um, and Kyrie has definitely allowed them to, you know, be that, you know, forefront team in the East, but. I think it really depends on their, you know, now second year players with Tyler Hero, if they're not going to do any trades. I know that they're rumored with the Rockets, um, with Bam, if he's going to take another step, if he's not going to have those injury issues that he had, that sort of really slowed him down, especially in the late rounds of the playoffs and in the NBA finals. They have, I think that if, they, their, you know, their breakout players from last season take a next step or even like stay steady and don't have like that se- second slash third year, you know, drought, then yeah, they probably will be just as competitive as last year and they have finals experience now. Um, and then of course, you know, Butler is going to push them as much as possible and Spo is an outstanding coach. So I, I don't think you can leave them out, um, for anything. The question is, like, are they going to be able to get that same level of production from their, um, you know, their second and third year players as they did when they, you know, last year when they were rookies and, you know, second year players who had barely played at the time? Yeah. And also who's going to be on the scouting reports? You know, I think that's a lot of times when you have the younger players who like just really break out and great. And I'm not saying that, you know, Tyler Hero you know, wasn't a really good player and that, um, Duncan, whose name is like, Robinson. yeah, that, you know, that they weren't great players, but they were also not part, I don't think of many teams main game plan <laughs> until they'd played them several times. Yeah. And you can look at the Lakers series. Like once they, you know, the Lakers had so much Intel on them that they really sort of, you know, sort of took a step back. So it's going to depend on, you know, if they can overcome that and now being on scouting reports and being, you know, sort of targeted for defensive rotations and things like that, if they will take that next step. Okay, moving on to the books. I mean, and that is a great pivot, by the way. Um, Giannis signed, and, you know, I'm not really surprised that he did. But what I'm wondering is that did the Bucks do enough in free agency to contend now? And does most of this, most of um, the Bucks' hopes fall still fall squarely on Giannis? Because if they fall squarely on Giannis still, until Giannis can really show a jump in his game as far as like a jump, a consistent jumper, increase. Uh, you know, improvement in free throws. You know, I, I really see them just plateauing in a way. I mean, is, is that fair to say? I mean, that's kind of 
what I was feeling is that, uh, you know, I think Drew Holiday is going to be good, but I, I also kind of feel like everybody, like everybody who plays around Giannis is better because they're playing with Giannis, but I don't know how much Giannis raises, I don't want to say I don't know how much Giannis makes everybody better because clearly when you have Giannis on your team, you're better, but like, I feel like they're going to just continue to make little, you know, all they can do right now because they have one transcendent talent, all they can do is continually just try to like make little adjustments around the edges. And I don't, I don't know that any of those adjustments are going to be enough, especially when a team like the Nets, who I think are going to be the ones who come out of the East are circling with two great players. Uh, and on Giannis, I, I have a, a friend of mine on Twitter, and he is real knowledgeable about the game. And I, I guess you, you guys know of him. You know of him as Yoda. His name is Rashad Phillips. He had he had a point about, uh, you know, positions in the game where there's like five positions that categorize everybody. And, you know, the game is just so evolved that, it need more than just five positions to categorize. And one of those positions is called the dual forward. And he has categorized LeBron James, Luka Doncic, and Giannis as a dual forward. And in a show that he did, he said that there, it was kind of impossible. Well, to win a championship from that position is tough. But, you know, LeBron has defied the odds. You know, he's won, won four championships at that position. But what I have asked Rashad was, was it the position alone or was the approach to the position that makes the dual forward a, um, you know, a championship to win as a dual forward? And I'm wondering, is is it fair to say that Giannis, Giannis's approach isn't quite the move. I'm going to say the following. I'm not, I don't know how to answer that, Janelle. So I'm going to slightly pivot. I, I think that's really going to, sorry, that's really going to be up to Giannis on if he's going to take another step. I mean, I know he is now back to back NBA, uh, NBA MVP. And I feel like he has sort of, been you know sort of raised up a little bit too early in my opinion and a lot of what my concerns around Giannis are is he like folks want to say oh the Bucks are the James Harden of the East no James Harden isn't a team Giannis is the James Harden of the East if you want to be, you know, blunt about it or if you want to, you know, sort of bash Harden in some sort of way. He, you know, at this point, Giannis has done less than even Harden has, you know, even though folks like to, you know, bash Harden. Harden was able to get to the Western Conference Finals in a harder division, I mean, in a harder conference by his sixth year. Like Giannis has been in the league for quite a bit now. He, I thought last season after, you know, the Bucks basically, you know, completely laid the egg versus the Heat 
that he would get a lot more heat, you know, no pun intended. But Giannis didn't. Like, folks are covering for Giannis again, even though he has not done as much as he should. So the question is, you know, is he going to step up, especially now that he has, you know, he is the most, um, you know, the highest paid player in NBA history? Mm-hmm. That that's my concern with him, and I think that folks use his height and his ability to basically, you know, double dribble and travel to get to the to the paint and to the rim as some indication that he is a phenomenal player. And I'm I'm not saying that he isn't. Like I think that he, you know, based on his stature, based on the way he plays in the regular season, he has been phenomenal. But when you can't even get to the Eastern Conference Finals in, you know, the East, which I think until relatively recently has been bad, mm-hmm. that's a issue. And that's the thing that I hope that folks give him a legitimate, like the same thing where I say with, you know, Curry, at least Curry, he's won, you know, back-to-back MVPs, but he's also won a championship and been to the finals. Like, I can't take that away from Curry. Like, Giannis hasn't done any of that. He hasn't even gotten out of the second round. So, until that happens, um, until he shows that, hey, he's taking that next step in the playoffs, and I'm not even talking about, like, rings. Like, I think that he needs to legitimately show that – you know, he can at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals consistently over the next few years. And he, he's not going to sort of falter and, you know, have these awful games in the playoffs. Then, you know, I'm not going to overrate him. So that's sort of my skill when it comes to and, be honest. And that is, that is valid. And I, I believe you, you really didn't pivot per se because it, you bring up a point. You bring up a point about his approach to the game. The difference between someone like Giannis and LeBron is that LeBron is willing to facilitate. And from what I've seen of uh, Giannis, I don't believe he has been, you know, apt to do that, to, to really facilitate and, and get most of his pieces involved. And this is going to sound kind of hot takey of me. And, you know, I, I don't rock like that. But any fool with height and some sort of sliver skill can really do what Giannis does, but he, you know, him having the ability to improve and grow year after year. And again, even with stars, it's a process of progression. What about his outside shooting? What about his willingness to facilitate, facilitate and trust his teammates? You know what I mean? Yeah. And what about him actually shooting above 50% consistently from the three third line? Hello? That's, that's really my issue. And I, I don't want to go any further when it comes to Giannis. I think that I hope that for, you know, the Bucks' sake, that he plays a lot better when it matters. Like, if folks are going to bash Harden about not doing that, even though he has played, you know, relatively well and extremely well considering the circumstances, then they need to start having that same conversation about Giannis. And now that he – I'm pretty sure he's entering year seven – and now that he is this, well, no, he has to be entering year eight because he got the Supermax. So he's entering year eight of his career. He 
he's not, you know, this rookie that folks like to imagine him being any longer. He's not in the second or third year. He is a veteran player who's making the most money in the NBA. NBA. And if he falters again, if they don't even get out of the second round, quite frankly, he probably should be getting to the finals this season if he is that transcendent of a talent. I agree with all of there that. There needs to be more conversations. So keeping the same energy, that's what we're on. And that is fair. So moving right along, one of the dark horses for the East that a lot some people don't really don't talk about much is I would say Philadelphia. I mean, they got a new coach in Dark Rivers. They have new pieces to go around. And I'm just curious how far can they go and what can he get out of Joel Embiid? Where are they going to put Ben Simmons? Is he better off as a four or should he still remain a point guard? I'm, I'm going to go with what I said earlier, which is I don't know that that matters when they have Brooklyn sitting waiting <laughs> to take well, over. Brooklyn isn't their offense. They're, they're, they're I. My concern is defense because what I seen during the preseason game with, with the Wizards, and mind you, there was no Westbrook and there was uh, no Bradley Bill. They almost won that game, and you know uh, Brooklyn was blowing them out early. Their, their issues are defense. I, they, they are problem offensively, but they they may have some issues defensively some nights. Well, to finish up though, what you were saying about Philadelphia is you just like rattled off off the top of your head a whole host of questions about Philadelphia. And if we don't know any of those things yet about Philadelphia after all of these years, we're never going to know them. That's kind of how I feel. I mean, I guess they have a new coach this year, so maybe we'll learn a little bit more. But I feel like if they haven't done it by now, kind of like with Giannis, if they haven't done it and if we don't know who the leader is, how they're going to use them, um, you know, who's the new piece that they're going to bring in. If these remain questions, I don't think that they're going to take it any farther than they have in the past. Um, and also Doc is Mr. 3-1, so let's not <laughs> yeah. pretend that he hasn't had issues was, of his own. I was so disappointed that he took that job. I I wanted to see him. I want to see what Doc would do with a young team. And I guess that's just not his bag, right? I guess he just likes to go to teams that are, um, you know, have established players and work with them. But I really wanted to see what he would do with super young talent. Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, is that this really depends on James Harden as well. I think a lot of the Easter Conference depends on, like, if Harden is traded to the East, I think that whichever team he lands at, I don't think Brooklyn is going to be that. Um, even though Brooklyn fans are like clamoring for him, they don't have the pieces. The thing is, Houston ain't going to trade Harden for Linton. I don't yeah. Blame, I don't blame him at all. And I, I would be furious if they did that. And it looks like so far they're staying pat with that and they don't have to do rush. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if they do actually trade Harden for whoever and it seems like he is willing to just stay and the, you know, go to the East. That's going to cause that team to shot, you know, shoot up to top two, you know, top one status. Like Harden has never missed the playoffs in his career. Like he went to the playoffs as a rookie in OKC all the way to last season. Like he has never missed the playoffs. He has the longest playoff tenure, active playoff tenure 
in the NBA because, you know, J.D. Redick was a part of the Pelicans and the Pelicans, you know, um, you know, didn't make the playoffs at the last minute, even though the NBA sort of, you know, tilted their they chances. They tried. They tried. <laughs> um, so I think as much as Houston has a, you know, that big, huge caveat when it comes to Harden, the East has that big, huge caveat as well. And whenever that is resolved, we'll know a lot more, you know, what teams will actually, I think right now the Nets definitely are, you know, stand up, you know, if they fix their defensive issues, which I don't know if they actually can. I think, you know, Kyrie has always been spotty on defense. Um, KD is coming back from injury, but he looks good, but that could cause a step back with his defensive game. And their bench is not good, and their rotation players aren't good at defense. And that's going to be an issue when going into the playoffs. It will be fine during the regular season, but during the playoffs, that would be an issue. So we'll see. Like, I just – I think the Harden situation affects the East a lot more than the West does because, like, people aren't expecting the Rockets, per se, to make the playoffs unless – Harden's still there but in the east if one of those teams is able to get Harden then that instantly causes them to be a potential contender um unless it's a one you know team that's already a, in a contender spot I hope he goes east I have I, I don't know that I've even heard of any teams in the west in no, the discussion I, I, yeah, he. I, I don't think there are any teams in the West that have been in that discussion at all. Um, I think the only team I've seen is Denver, and I think so. I made a list on Twitter. Um, I'll say this real fast: that like teams that have a chance to trade for Harden and not need a you know a third team to come in for a three team t- trade, and Denver is the only team in the West that has that ability. Like they have um, good young players that you know, could help out Houston in the future. They have draft picks and assets that they haven't really been using and they've been stockpiling really good potential talent. So Denver, they're really a wild card because they want to get to, you know, the they they were so close the last few years to getting to the Western Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. I feel like if they need to, they can go ahead and, you know, take that next step with Harden. But it really depends on if they want to do that or not. Yeah, so pivoting to the sure things in the East, what about those who will miss the playoff? The Knicks. <laughs> Knicks. Do I get a Knicks, point for that? Detroit. I feel like I should ding the bell. <laughs> Knicks, Detroit, Cleveland. Orlando. Orlando. Uh, I think Orlando's iffy. Yeah. Because I yeah, think they iffy. And you could even say that Washington is iffy. Charlotte might be, might, yeah. I would say. And I think the one thing that folks are sort of underestimating is that the East, yes, they have those bottom dwellers that are, you know, just not that good, but they have been really competitive versus the West the last few years. Like they were, it was pretty close to 500 interest conference wise when it comes to the east and the west hmm. and when it comes to 
the teams, like there's really what 10 teams. Like if we look, think about it that have a legitimate shot, you know, depending on how things fall of getting into the playoffs this season. So a lot of folks are like, Oh, the East is weak. Not really, not anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you could probably say that, you know, even three years ago, but Mm -hmm. they are actually almost, you know, especially at the top, they are just Mm -hmm. as strong, you know, Mm -hmm. outside of, I guess, you know, the Lakers, which, you know, I have, thoughts about but overall like if you ignore the Lakers like two through eight for the West is pretty comparable to one through eight in in the East mm-hmm. and that's something you you couldn't say for sure the last you know up to the last two years or so so the East is going to be strong it's going to be it's really going to depend on if Certain teams like the Hornets, they're able to get things together and they were actually playing pretty well before the, you know, the season was shortened. Um, I think Detroit is sort of really depends on Blake and if he's not injured or not. I, I think it's going to be sort of hard. I think that eight, nine, 10, maybe even 11 position is going to be tight like it was last season. I think in years past, it was like, okay, we know these four teams are going to make the playoffs, and then who knows who's going to get the other ones. But now I think we can say like eight. I, I could I wrote down a list of eight just like right off the top of my head that I felt like uh, would probably make it to the playoffs. And I don't know when the last time was that I felt that strongly about um, – about the East, I wrote down Brooklyn, Miami, Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, Boston, Atlanta, and Indiana. So I feel pretty strong that those are the most likely ones. But like compared to other years, like I said, I could have written down like four name, four teams that I felt were going to make the playoffs, and then the rest would have just been wide open. Yeah, and you can't forget Washington, and I think Charlotte has. They definitely have outside shots, and I, I know. Um, you know, um, Jonathan Isaac got hurt from Orlando, but they play pretty well without him. I mean, they, he, they were able to do pretty well in the few games that he was unavailable during the playoffs. So I think that it, like the top, you know, eight teams to a certain extent are fixed, but I think there's going to be a lot of competition mm-hmm. and a lot of folks are sort of ignoring that. And I think the one thing that sort of clouds everything is like, if there's going to be COVID issues. And I, I think we're trying to be positive and say like, Hey, there's not going to be as many as we think, but that could be a contributing thing as well, especially since there's not a bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my point really is that, that this year I actually had to think really hard about who was going to be left out. And I used to think, have to think really hard about who was actually going to be in. <laughs> Sure. Janelle, do you have any last, I have one last hot take about the East. Um, and I, I'm really curious what you think about this. I think Kevin Durant is going to be amazing and he's going to, um, uh, contend for, um, uh, MVP. That's I, not really hot take because. Oh, it's not. No, I, no, I, I really don't believe so because K, KD has looked sensational since coming back from his Achilles. And that's not even a surprise because most of his game really don't predicate on athleticism anyway. He's still efficient. He still can get whatever sh- shot he wants with ease. And so, I, so, you know, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Even Andre Iguodala would say, would said not a few months ago that he would 
take KD as MVP. Okay, so not a hot take. No, no, that's okay though. I mean, it's just super foreign to my thinking, I guess. I was thinking about it in terms of how I've always thought of him because I've, um, probably unfairly in the past looked at KD as a phenomenal player, but not necessarily a leader. And partly because he's been on teams with other like really strong personalities. And I don't know much. That's fair to say. That's fair to say because leadership, I'm sorry to cut you off, but. Leadership, you know, there's different ways you can lead. And Kevin wasn't really a vocal leader in the first place. Neither is Kyrie. Well, neither is Kyrie to, to an extent. You know, he, he, you know, Kevin likes just to play. But I see that. So like when I, when I have like really strong feelings, especially when I don't really like a player, I, I don't think that's fair. And so I try to like learn more about them and I try to listen to them because I don't think it's fair for me as a fan to like judge a player or whatever, unless I know like who they are. So I've been listening to a lot of Kevin Durant and leading, reading, um, about him and even something, you know, even listening to his podcast and what I have noticed about him, even like in the time since he started his podcast, you know, seven episodes ago into now, he's really grown, I think, in terms of being more, um, and maybe he was always like this on, you know, in the teams behind closed doors. I don't know, but I just see in him more of a, um, I mean, I can't think of a better word besides leadership, but more confidence in, you know, him, like the way, like the way he talked to Kyrie on their Instagram live, you know, he, he had this really thoughtful approach to the game and how they were going to be their best. And from what I've always seen, like as a fan who's getting my information from the news is I've always seen a really great player who has this weird personality that nobody can figure out. And what I'm hearing now that I'm actually listening to him and learning and watching is somebody who has over time grown into more of a leadership position. And I think just what we were all saying about Giannis, like, you know, he got this MVP, but we're like, uh, I feel like in a lot of ways it was like, kind of like expected that he was going to get it when we look at other players who, you know, lead their teams like Steph and like LeBron in the past or, you know, other MVPs who've like put in the work to do the leadership as well as the basketball part of it. So that's why I think that Kevin Durant um, has a good shot. And I agree. And your approach to learning more about these players is phenomenal, Tara. And I've, and I wish more fans would do the same. It's if, super interesting. You learn more about this. If, if more fans have your approach, Tara, the discourse around the game will be better than what it is now. Because what it is now is a hot mess. <laughs> and we can go into that in later episodes. But I like, I love your approach. Thank you. I, um, I hope that, um, I, the other people, maybe somebody will have the idea to, to do it that way too. That's that's the way to do it. Because it's just really easy to just up and judge players because of the narratives around them. But it is hard to resist. It's, it's, it's hard to resist. It's hard to resist those narratives. What do you think, Brett? Do you think uh Kevin Durant for the MVP is um 
a hot take or is a uh, possibility or what do you think? No, I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's just more. I have one. <laughs> no, I, I think that he has, if he's even 80% of how he was before the injury, then he is a MVP candidate, you know, no questions about it. So I think the more relevant thing is if it is true that his mature, you know, his leadership skills have stepped up since his time in Oklahoma City and his time in Golden State and during the year where he and he still does this, you know, even recently, you know, going to tweets and, you know, telling folks, oh, you shouldn't be, you know, you should get over me winning in Golden State. Like if if he really thought that you would stop talking to fans and stop, you know, ignore those conversations, like things like that sort of caused me to be hesitant about Durant and I think Kyrie he has his own sort of things that sort of surround him but I think that you know beyond the defensive issues like Durant is a generational talent I I think we've said that a couple of times like he is a generational talent and he you know unless the Nets completely break down for whatever reason, or if, you know, I'm not, I'm going to knock on wood. I don't want any injuries for folks, but that's definitely in the cards, especially with um, Durant and with Kyrie. Those, those would probably be the things that cause him not to be able to, you know, get an MVP, not so much him, you know, changing his play style because he's had to because of the injury or not change, but having to rely more on his shooting versus, you know, being that pure, you know, that athlete that he was before. Anything else, guys? We covered a lot, and yet there's still so much, but I think we should probably wrap it up. (laughs) Well, that's fine with me. Well, for another edition of Step Back Sisterhood, I'm Janelle, as Tara and Britt. Janelle, where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me at uh, Janelle12, that is J-A-N-N-E-L-L-E-12. What about you, Britt? You can find me at Britt Robotista. Um, you can search that online. <laughs> I- I'm too lazy to spell it out this week. <laughs> um, Kara? You can find me at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S on Twitter, and you can also find the Setback Sisterhood podcast at Step Back Sisters. You can find us on Apple and Spotify, and we would love it. And we so appreciate everybody who's already gone and giving us wonderful ratings and reviews. We appreciate it so, so, so much. And, uh, you know, if you want to, uh, if you haven't already, we would appreciate that too. Um, and yeah, just thanks for listening to this. We're a new podcast, so we appreciate all the listens. And uh, thanks to Blue Wire Hustle for uh, also for helping us out and getting started. We forgot to also mention Amber. Since she was on the first part of the show, she's at simply me underscore AV. Good call, Britt. All right. We will see y'all next week. Until next time.